The Krusty Krab pizza is the pizza for you and me. Mm, Krusty Krab pizza. Oh, not yet. Not yet, no. (laughs) Is the pizza for you and me. Now. Krusty Krab pizza. Is the pizza, yeah, yeah, for you and me. Perfect. Welcome to RSVP Podcast. How did you know? Because <laughs> the only reason why you would have broken out into song would be because you're recording. <laughs> Listen, I sing all the time. Okay. Usually mm-hmm. it's only Carly mm-hmm. Rae Jepsen. Okay, but. okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whatever. Well, how are you doing, Spencer? How are you doing? What are you trying to be? Randall? No, I'm trying to be How windy. are you doing, Spencer? I'm trying to be Wendy Williams. Uh, you know what was an underrated character on Snatch Game? Wendy Williams. Wendy Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Naomi Smalls doing Wendy Williams. That was fantastic. Well, Wendy Williams is a good character to do anyway mm-hmm. because she's just always like has stupid shit to say. Yeah, exactly. Which is perfect because you can basically say whatever the fuck you want to in her how you doing kind of thing and mm-hmm. it works. And make yourself look all cracked out. Yeah, which and then just randomly faint. Have you ever seen her walk? No. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> She holds her hands up like this, like in the how you Oh, so then it. that's what Naomi did. Yeah. Before she fainted. So then Naomi was right on point for that. And then I, she just, I just like watched shuffles. Re- I that's what Naomi did as well. I just rewatched All Stars 4 and that's why I know that. I love that. Yeah. It was I love good. that for you. It was late. Still waiting on uh All, All Stars, Stars 5. 5 um I have predictions and I think they're going to wait until like March to finally do it. Um, so that the finale of All Stars 5 corresponds with Pride season, and then they're going to push season 12 into the fall so that they basically have, like, all year long they're doing shit. But they're not doing it all year long. We're we're in a wormhole of no drag right now. I know. That's what they're trying to fix, that wormhole, by creating a wormhole now. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so now in the future, we'll have maybe a month between drags. Okay. Well, if that's the way that it works, then it'll be acceptable. But yeah. I don't know how we're doing right now. <laughs> And I'm fiending. I'm barely making it, honestly. I am on the edge. (laughs) (laughs) I am. And there's no, uh, there's there's nothing. There's nothing. Like, I saw earlier today that there was a Racer Chaser podcast. um, And I was like, what are you, what race are you chasing? (laughs) Because none of the. There's no drag right now. So right now we're doing. um, Marathon uh, runners. (laughs) Mrs. Stubel's third grade class egg (laughs) race. Um. It's really How intense. are the eggs racing? It's with the spoon. Oh, okay. Or it's a potato sack race. But, okay, okay. Yeah. Or the one where you have to tie your Can you your do legs a potato together? sack race while it's like the three-legged race at the same time? You tie your middle leg together, get in a potato sack with somebody, the, and then the... have an egg. <laughs> this sounds deadly, and I'm very about it. I mean... I want them to follow this now. Also, you have to do it on a bed of nails. Ooh. And you have to be in third grade. Mm-hmm. Less children in the world. Mm-hmm. God. Oh. <laughs> anyway, That took a dark turn. <laughs> thanks Very to quickly. our sponsor. <laughs> ah! <Stop>. LOL. <laughs> um, well, Spencer, I hear that you've got a, um, a new um, hobby. I do. Let me uh, get you my... You want to talk about it? Anyways. Because so. you've been talking about it all throughout dinner, which dinner was delicious, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. Did you what, did you buy that through coupons as well? I didn't. Ah, oh, damn. No, but there's a, a app on your phone called Fetch that if you scan in the receipts, they give you points. So I did that. 
<laughs> what do these points get you? You gift cards <laughs> for anything. Well, there's specific things, but lots of things. At which store? Um, I'm looking mainly at Sephora. Okay. So you get 10,000 so points, you get $10 at Sephora. Oh, but like you scan a receipt of anything yeah. and it gives you points. Mm-hmm. Oh. They're probably going to try to sell me something. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> we heard you really like, what did I buy a lot of today? Me? Air fresheners. <laughs> you bought seven air fresheners. <laughs> Six. <laughs> they were buy four, get two free. <laughs> But they were 89 cents, too. So. so explain to us how you ended up on... Um... Well, I had been into it before. Okay. And I didn't... We're talking about couponing, by the way. Yeah, I'm into couponing right now. So we've done it before. I've done it before. And I wasn't very good. <laughs> but I'm a much better now. Yeah. How did you get better? Uh, YouTube. <laughs> Watching couponing videos. <laughs> and supposedly there's a famous... YouTuber that lives in Houston? Oh, yeah. Couponing with Tony. I love Couponing with Tony. She's fucking lit. And every time she finds something in CVS, she's like, look at God. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? And I'm like, yes, Tony, he's going to do it. Well, explain to us your grocery list today. Because <laughs> okay. I was living for it. Let me get my book. Okay. Oh, this is the wrong one. Oh, damn it. Why do you have two of the? Oh, did you? Was it a buy like one get one free? Oh, no, they were <laughs> free gifts with purchase at Bobby, and I, nobody wanted them, so I took like ten of them. Uh, those are so, nice books, though. Yeah, steal, steal me some of those. I got one one left over there. Oh no, I don't want it. Um, and it has an envelope. Oh, that's for cool. me to put my coupons in. <laughs> anyway, so that's gonna be your coupon. This journal. is a couponing book. Okay, and it's called Best Kept Secret. Okay, well, because you're. Secretly... I don't want other people to know my deals. Yeah, obviously, but I'm gonna tell them right now because you s- stole all of them. <laughs> okay, so Cinnamon Toast Crunch was on sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, adult. Who, who in your house eats Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Thomas. How often? Every fucking day. How many boxes does he already have? He had one. <laughs> okay, that's fine. and it's probably almost <laughs> empty because he eats cereal every night. Okay, that's good. That's, uh, that's useful. Yes. Okay. Um, so <laughs> they were $1.99 a piece, uh-huh. and I had a dollar off coupon. Oh, my too. gosh. So they were cheaper. <laughs> Anyways. I also got uh, <laughs> Maybelline Great Lash Mascara and Blush. Did you need that? I like the Great Lash Mascara, and I can always use more blush. Okay. <laughs> they were buy one, get one 50% off. And you weren't an extra buck of $5 when you buy two. Oh my gosh. So you so, bought two of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. When you buy two items. Oh. Yeah. You get $5 back. Okay. <laughs> mm. I bought three Irish sp- spring body washes. Like individual bars or like multi-packs? The liquid. Oh, okay. Yeah. With so. Three bottles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I had a 75 cent off coupon and a dollar off two. And then for every time you buy three, you get $5 back. <laughs> and then I got some lotion. Uh-huh. It was spend 20, get 10. <laughs> and they were 20% off and I had a $3 off coupon. Okay. <laughs> so basically they were nearly free. <laughs> nearly free. Um, toothpaste was a three ninety nine dollar off coupon, and then you get two dollars back, so it was ninety nine cents. Oh my gosh! 
<laughs> uh-huh. And then renews it. I had a coupon, buy four, get two free. They were 89 cents. And then the uh, laundry detergent, four ninety four. but I had a $2 off coupon. And did you need laundry, laundry detergent? We did. <laughs> Rumor has it that you didn't. <laughs> Rumor has it that shut the fuck up. Yes, we did. Because what did you say this morning, Thomas? You said, we're almost out of laundry detergent. You definitely did. You came out with the laundry detergent. You said, this is almost gone. And I said, oh, good, because I'm going to get it today. <laughs> so and then I bring it all home and you say, where are we going to use all this? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. So we have a household dispute. <laughs> Welcome to RSV Podcast. And I also got something else that I didn't write down because there was also a deal in store. <laughs> so that's a secret. <laughs> uh, no, my body wash for me. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a secret. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, was that it? I think that was it. And how much did you save? I, or, I'm sorry, how much did you earn? Because you didn't save anything in this. Besides, yes, I did. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. With my coupons, bitch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 35 fucking percent with my coupons. Okay. And then I got $25 back. So that you can use that $26 back. future purchases. On my future deals, bitch, oh. because you know what hap- What they call it? They call it rolling your ECBs, and I'm going to start rolling my ECBs into another fucking deal, which is going to be Lysol oh, and Tide pods. Didn't you just buy detergent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fuck up i'm very excited about spencer's new hobby because uh it gives him a reason to leave the house (laughs) i leave the house all the fucking time (laughs) spencer has become our resident uh 86 year old woman hold on (laughs) tell me about how you lost weight chris yeah Shut the fuck up. Well, now I am on week two and a half of the paleo diet. Wow. Uh, it's going well, except for when I was in Cabo. Um, but I did, I ate pretty well. I ate, I ate a couple of desserts, though. But <laughs> you were I bad. Cheated. I cheated. It was a little bad. I, just a little bit bad. Uh, but otherwise, I stay pretty healthy. And so I'm slimming down. I can feel it. I feel much better. Um, and I may just be over my seasonal sadness uh, disorder. Seasonal affected That disorder. one. Um but I feel like let's go get things. Let's go do it. You want to go couponing? Yeah, let's go couponing. Yes! <laughs> oh Who God. knows what I might end up with? We're going to get Lysol. I'm one of those people that like would 100% be addicted to it and then be on those shows where I own a shed full of shit that I don't need. Yeah. Um, so I I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> someone won't let me do it. <laughs> It's not like we can't get an, a storage unit somewhere. <laughs> or three. <laughs> there's plenty around town. I mean, there's one down the street. <laughs> we have one right across the street from my house. <laughs> can, I can come over. <laughs> and apparently it's also a wine storage facility, too. So they have deals on wine. What? That seems like a, a business that doesn't go together. What? Couponing and wine? Wine storage and wine sales. Wine sales no, not and wine. storage. No, they don't have wine sales. They have wine storage. Oh. It's a storage unit. 
Oh, oh, you want to get coupons on wine? There's yes. no coupons for fucking wine. There could what be. Are you fucking stupid. Uh, HEB sometimes has their twenty percent no, no, off sales on wine when you buy six or more. It's not a coupon that comes in the Sunday paper. Yeah, so that means it doesn't work for you. So we're not doing it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry that I don't know how to follow your coupon rules. Show me your meme. Okay, so you can't ruin it. So I found this meme that I think is perfect for us. Is it a meme? <laughs> it is a meme. Meme um, This is, what's your Alexis Rose misadventure? <laughs> have you done this one? No. <laughs> oh God, it's so it's a meme? It's a meme. Yeah, so you have to like follow your misadventure. So I'm going to read mine while you put yours together because it takes a little bit of effort. But you have to zoom in on all the different things. So it has like the the sentence of what she's saying, and then you have to put together like the different parts. So we'll post this on our Sweetie Podcast uh, page on Sunday. So if you want to follow along and post your uh, post a comment on what your misadventure is for Alexis Rose, then you can um, follow along with us. But I've written mine, and I want to go ahead and read it. Okay. Okay. You ready? Uh huh. Oh, really, David? Okay, well, you try being a character witness for the Yakuza and having your having to grift your way out of Snoop Dogg's birthday yacht with only the timer nearly at zero and a hangover, David. Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's mine. Oh, really, David? Well, you try being kidnapped by Somali pirates again <laughs> and having to negotiate in Cantonese, David. <laughs> Your way out of um, Sasha and Malia's <laughs> uh, four. It takes a lot. Meth of lab. <laughs> Sasha and Malia's meth lab. <laughs> uh-huh. With only a toothpick and wait. You get your parts. surname and the last letter of your okay and the last letter of your surname and a deactivated retinas <laughs> so only detached tooth, retinas only a toothpick and detached retinas <laughs> wow I love that that's a good meme right I, I love Alexis Rose. yeah I I think it's fucking hilarious because uh, first of all we're talking about Shit's Creek in case anyone is uncultured. Um, which is a Canadian television show that everybody loves because it's Canadian and they never stopped halfway through it to say, what's going on in the show? Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, let's see what happens. <laughs> what is this? Something's what is, what off is, here. What is happening here? <laughs> what's going on? What's happening? <laughs> Ma'am. <laughs> yeah. So that we'll post the, like I said, we'll post a meme on Sunday so that you can comment and tell us what your Alexis Rose misadventure is. Cause we want, we want to know. David. David. Let us know David. Yeah, so I've been saving that. I've been sitting on that little egg because, like, I was afraid you were going to see it on Twitter before I was able to share it with you. And I'm like, no. Who no. made it? Uh, I don't Is know. Is it Shit's Creek? I don't, I don't know. Huh. I don't know where it came from. I'm I just... want it to be Moira, Moira Roses as well. All the gays. Moira Rose one. Moira, Moira, Moira Rose. Well, this was just perfect because, like, her misadventures are always, like, ridiculous. Hello? Hello? God? Jesus? Speaking of that. Satan? Oh, what? <laughs> uh... We need to thank our uh, newest sponsor. Oh, yeah. So uh, ListenWorks has a new sponsor. Hold on. I got to pull that up. That's doing some really good work out there. Absolutely. You want to tell them about it? Uh, yeah. Let me tell you about it. Okay. So <clears throat> InFocus Group supports Orchid. This is, yeah. 
about in focus group in case you were wondering in focus group supports organizations on their lgbtq journey through training consulting and speaking the in focus group team is passionate about connecting organizations and individuals to the power of lgbtq diversity and inclusion in focus group works to develop partnerships with organizations pursuing an lgbtq inclusive workplace culture we know that organizations achieve their best outcomes when lgbtq employees bring their full and authentic selves to the workplace oh my god i love this is the <laughs> sentence that i wanted i know those organizations willing to invest in lgbtq inclusion Thrive financially from positive brand recognition. Learn more about the work at InFocus Group and how they can help your organization with LGBTQ diversity and inclusion by visiting their website at www.infocusgroup.com. Do you want to spell that for That's me? E-N-F-O-C-U-S-G-R-O-U-P.com. Check out InFocus Group blog and also sign up for the InFocus Group newsletter and receive your free PDF. Nine returns on establishing and maintaining LGBTQ inclusive workplace cultures. End script. <laughs> Why did you say that? <laughs> because it's written on my page. <laughs> we came up with that ourselves. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, we, <laughs> All oh, this couponing cool. and you've just lost your mind. Well, are you ready to talk about spoopy stuff? Let's talk about some spoopy stuff. stuff. Okay, so mine... Um, I guess uh, since I still didn't really define our theme, yeah, you're kind doing of, a terrible job. <laughs> I really fine. am. Um, so the theme has now become uh, what the fuck kind of situations. Oh, so we've just morphed. Yeah, we just keep morphing. The theme keeps changing. It's an it, like anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic, like anthropo anamorphs or mighty, mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Ooh, anamorphs. Okay. Yeah, definitely like one of those things where it's like a half human, half like <laughs> it throws up and turns into a lion. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's basically me. Um, what? Yeah. Yep. You so, throw up and turn into trash. Um, I don't <laughs> throw up and turn into trash. I just am. <laughs> Every Saturday night, Chris <laughs> drinks one Jägermeister and then throws <laughs> up and becomes trash. Morphs into trash just for fun. Okay, let's get started. Okay. Um, I went last last week, so I'm going first this time. Um, okay. No. Oh. Yes, I did. No. Oh. Do you have a coupon to go first? Stop. <laughs> Here. Here's the paper. Oh, I see your stack of coupons that are ready to go. Uh-huh. Did you say coupons or coupons? Nice? I like to say... Uh, I say coupons, but sometimes I like to say coupons because it annoys people. No, I don't know why it annoys people. That's just how I was raised saying it. Coupons. There's no... C-O-U does not make a Q noise. C-U-E makes a Q. Coupons. <laughs> So I, I have tried to correct myself coupons. saying coupons because that's what people say. But hmm. it sounds like you don't have a coupon to spell the word coupon. Everyone's a critic. Anyways, so we're going to talk about Isai Sagawa. Isai. Isai Sagawa. <laughs> so Sagawa was born in Kobe, Hyogo Prefecture, uh, Japan, to wealthy parents. So he was born prematurely, reportedly small enough to fit in the palm of his father's hand, and immediately developed enteritis, a disease of the small intestine. He I just want to go through something really quick and wonder how you figure out how to say words. I just go for it. <laughs> just, just blindly. What, just what did I say? It? Kobe Hyogo no, you Prefecture. Said his name was Issei. 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 
It's That's Japanese. not how you said the first time. You what said, did I say? Is Isai. Isai. Because it's an E-I. Yeah, but you don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I was also remembering in the back of my head the last time you corrected me on Japanese and you were like, you have to pronounce every letter. <laughs> no, it's groups of two or three. Oh, my God. So E-S is East. It's I. And yeah, that's what I meant. And then S-E-I is say. Because there's a company called Shiseido, and I know that. Okay, well, Isai. Shut up. <laughs> so I've got a hard name in mind, too. Yeah, good. It's I'm going to correct Williams. you as well. <laughs> He's what? Betty Williams. Okay. Betty Williams. <laughs> Betty. <laughs> uh, it's Betty. <laughs> Betty. So he eventually recovered from his enteritis after several injections of potassium and calcium in saline. Why is this important? It's not. I just wanted to say it. Um, mm, <laughs> so this story altogether is about a cannibal. Just FYI. Um, Love this journey. So he first experienced cannibalistic desires while he was in first grade after seeing a male's thigh. And he was like, looks delicious. Can't say I haven't had that thought before. Uh, not I the can- same kind of thought. But the same word. Yeah, I've yeah. Mine was not like I want to eat it. It was more of like a whoa. <laughs> that makes me feel. Does feel he know things. that's out here? Yeah. Does, does he know that his thigh is out where everyone Sky's can see out it? Thigh zone. Yeah. Seriously. Just letting everyone wow. know. Gonna just do the wow 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 wow. wow, wow. wow. Yeah, that was exactly correct. Except I did not want to eat it like uh, Sagawa did. Um, so, in a 2011 interview with Vice, Sagawa reported that as a youth, he partook in bestiality with his dog and experienced cannibalistic desires for women. Yeah. He was always short and skinny with legs that looked like pencils. He blames the media's representation of Western women like Grace Kelly for sparking his cannibalistic fantasies, equating it with what most people would call sexual desire. Where other people dreamed of betting these beautiful women, Sagawa dreamed of eating them. Mm-hmm. He maintains, however, that he never thought of killing them, only, quote-unquote, gnawing on their flesh. At the age of 24, in Tokyo, Sagawa followed a tall German woman home and then broke into her apartment while she was sleeping with the intent to cannibalize her by slicing off part of her buttocks and sneaking away with a small part of her flesh. Yeah, she awoke, she's going to not wake up. Just, you oh, my God, you sliced my ass. butt off. Yeah. She awoke, and Sagawa claims pushed him to the ground. He was captured by police and charged with attempted rape. He did not confess his true intentions to authorities. Cousin said, no, I wasn't trying to rape her. I was just, just trying, trying to, to eat, eat her, her ass. Not in the fun way. No, he said, I was just trying to eat her ass. And they were like, you can't rape people up in here, sir. Oh, that's not what I meant. I didn't Yeah, mean no, we know what ass. you meant. I mean, we know what you eat meant. Eat her ass. Get in the jail. <laughs> Are we making jokes about cannibals now? I mean, we've made jokes about worse. Yeah, that's true. Um, you literally earlier said kill children. I did not say kill children. I just said that seeing them hunted for sport would be... T- <laughs> Whoa. This is a family <laughs> podcast, okay? When has it ever been a family podcast? <laughs> Everyone dies. Yeah, exactly. Um, it just depends on how funny and gruesome their death is. What? <laughs> Well, I mean, you're going to have an aneurysm. Fucking boring. Yeah, I know. We already know what's going to happen. Just because I have no patience and I'm, I have rage there's, issues. There's a blood vessel that's in your forehead that's just like pulsating. Is it like just like wildly. popping out? Yeah. 
I thought it was a tumor. I mean, not a tumor. What does that mean? Nothing. Robocop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Continue. <laughs> this went nowhere. Um, so, Sagawa had moved to Paris Sagawa. to study. What? Sagawa. Stop. And <laughs> <laughs> moved to Paris to study literature at the Sorbonne. 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 Yeah, there you go. S-O-R-B-O-N-E. I knew you were going to correct me either way, so I just butchered it every time. A public research university. Once there, he said his cannibalistic urges took over. He's like, these books make me go wild. So this is his quote. Almost every night, I would bring a prostitute home and then try to shoot them from behind, he said. It became less about wanting to eat them, but more an obsession with the idea that I simply had to carry out this ritual of killing a girl no matter what. In 1981, he befriended and gained the trust of Dutch student Renee Hartevelt, inviting her over for dinners. He attempted to kill her once, unsuccessfully, before actually murdering her. The first time the gun misfired when her back was turned. Though most would take this as a sign to give up, it only pushed Sagawa further down his rabbit hole. The very next night, he did. On June 11th of 1981, Sagawa, then 32, this is the day before my birthday, invited his... Your actual birthday? Or just the day? Just the day. How old do you think I am? <laughs> I'm younger than you, bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't look at my hairline, you asshole. <laughs> Anyways, he <laughs> invited his Sorbonne classmate. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> classmate Renee Hartvelt to dinner at his apartment under the pretext of translating poetry for his school assignment. He planned to kill her and eat her, having selected her for her health and beauty, characteristics he felt he lacked. Sagawa considered him himself weak, ugly, and small. He was only four feet nine inches tall, or is, I'm sorry, not was. He is only four feet nine inches tall and claims he wanted to absorb her energy. She was 25 years old and five foot uh, 11 inches, 10 inches, sorry, I can't read. Um, was he four foot nine? A tiny man. Um, after she arrived, she began reading poetry at a desk with her back to him. He shot her in the back with a rifle. I'm sorry, in the neck with a rifle. Sagawa said he fainted after the shock of shooting her, but awoke with the realization that he had carried had to carry out his plan. Quote, I thought about calling an ambulance, he recalled, but then I thought, hang on, don't be stupid. You dreamed about this for 32 years, and now it's actually happening. So then he did what any normal person would do. And by normal, I mean not normal. Uh, he had sex with her corpse, and Ooh. he could not bite into her skin because his teeth were not sharp enough, so he left the apartment and purchased a butcher knife. Sagawa then ate various parts of her body, eating most of her breasts and face, saving other parts in his refrigerator. He also took photographs of her at each eating stage. Quote, The first thing I did was cut into her buttock. No matter how deep I cut, all I saw was fat beneath the skin. It looked like corn, and it took a while to actually reach the red meat. The moment I saw the meat, I tore a chunk off with my fingers and threw it in my mouth. It was a true. It was truly a historical moment for me. He said his only regret, regret was that he hadn't eaten her while she was alive. Quote, what I truly wished was to eat her living flesh. He said, nobody believes me, but my ultimate intention was to eat her, not necessarily to kill her. How mm. are those mutually exclusive? Just, can you... Can you cut off your arm? Can you just give me part of your arm? Because I just want to eat that. But, like, it'll grow back. 
Like, <laughs> it'll grow <laughs> back. That's fine. I just want to eat you. I don't want you dead. Uh, okay. Uh, two days after killing Hartevelt, uh, Sagawa disposed of what remained of her body. He had eaten or frozen most of her pelvic, pelvic region so that he put her legs, torso, and head into two suitcases and then hailed a cab. The taxi dropped him off at the... Oh, boy. More French. Bois de Boulogne Wrong. Park. <laughs> Bois de... Boulogne? How's it spelled? B-O-U-L-O-G-N-E. Boulogne. Bois de Boulogne. Boys of Baloney Park, um, which <laughs> Baloney Boys Park <laughs> sounds like a good club to me. Which had a, a nightclub with a whole bunch of guys <laughs> eating lunch meat. Was Not even good lunch meat, but like processed lunch meat. <laughs> you see that guy over there with the fucking <laughs> pimento loaf? Oh my god, he's got he's got cheese over there oh my with god. his baloney. Bratwurst. (laughs) 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 Olive tapenade. Oh, salami. Mm. (laughs) So, yeah, Boys de Bologna Park, uh, (laughs) which had a secluded lake. Boys? (laughs) Boys de Bologna. had a secluded lake inside of it. He had planned to drop the suitcases in it unnoticed, though several people noticed the suitcases dripping blood and were like, hey. That's not right. uh, French police, come help out. Um, So when the police found him and questioned him, his response was a simple admission. I killed her to eat her flesh. Yep. So Sagawa awaited his trial for two years in a French prison. When it was finally time for him to be tried, oh, fucking... French judge... Jean-Louis Brugueri declared him legally insane and unfit to stand trial, dropping the charges and ordering him to be held indefinitely in a mental institution. So, then they deported him back to Japan, where he would spend the rest of his days in a Japanese mental hospital. But he didn't! Oh my god, is it like... Is it like mine that he left prison again? Uh, because the charges in France had been dropped, the court documents were sealed. They couldn't be resealed to Japanese Japanese authorities. Therefore, the Japanese had no case against Sagawa and no choice but to let him walk free. Oh, I love that journey. Right? In 1986, he checked himself out of the mental institution. He had been in, been free and has been free ever since. Today, Sagawa walks the streets of Tokyo, where he lives, free to do as he pleases. A more terrifying thought when one hears that the threat of life in prison hasn't done much to quell his urges. So, quote, the desire to eat people becomes so intense around June when women start wearing less and start showing more skin, he said. Just today, I saw a girl with a really nice derriere on my way to the train station. When I see things like that, I think about wanting to eat someone again before I die. What I'm saying is, I can't bear the thought of leaving this life without ever tasting that derriere that I saw this morning, or her thighs, he continued. I wanted to eat them again while I'm alive, and that I can at least be satisfied when I die. He's even planned out how he will do it. Do you want to know how? Because I'm going to tell you. I either think sukiyaki or shabu shabu, which is lightly boiled thin slices, is the best way to go in order to really savor the natural flavor of the meat. Yeah. In the meantime, however, Sagawa has refrained from cannibalism. So far. 
Between 1986 and 1997, he was frequently invited to be a guest speaker and commentator. No, in, why? Thank you. In 1992, he appeared in a film as a sadosexual voyeur. Um, Sagawa has written multiple books. From what I saw, he wrote like over 20 different books um, about the murder he committed. Um, he's also written restaurant reviews for several Japanese, uh, for a Japanese magazine called Spa. Uh, Sagawa can apparently no longer find publishers for his writing and that he has struggled to find employment. He was nearly accepted by a French language school because the manager was very impressed by his courage to be using his real name. So they were like, wow, you're actually using your real name. Wow, And you so don't care about like your terrible historic past. Uh, but the employees were like, uh, fuck no. And he was rejected. So then in 2005, Sagawa's parents died. Uh, and he was prevented from attending their funeral, but repaid their creditors and moved into public housing. He received welfare benefits for a time. In an interview with Vice Magazine in 2011, he said that he was being forced to make a living without being, or I'm sorry, while being known as a murderer and cannibal was just a terrible punishment. That's a terrible punishment. Mm -hmm. In 2013, he was hospitalized from a cerebral infraction. Um, inf Farction. Infarction. It's like a, it's a stroke. Oh, okay. I thought I was just reading that wrong. Uh, which permanently damaged his nervous system. Since being released, he has been under the full-time care of his brother. He's still alive today. So, the reason why this is a what-the-fuck moment is because he murdered a woman and then ate her body and then tried to dump it in a lake in a park in the middle of France. During the day. During the day. Um, and he planned to do it again. He still plans to do it again. But he's walking free... And he got a life of, or I guess not life, but up until basically 2011, he was popular with media attention because he's this man who's like, oh, yeah, I'll totally eat someone again. And he doesn't have any guilt about saying that. Mm -hmm. Like, Because he had no consequences. Yeah, there was no consequences. He was in jail for two years and that was it. And then put in a mental hospital. And then he checked himself out of the mental hospital. I mean, I just don't understand how they're like, the document. The documents are sealed. There's yeah. nothing you can do. Yeah, exactly. But I'm sure if they got some witness, the, like at the police station, be like, yeah, no, he definitely definitely was in the park with a dead body. Or even he the neighbors that heard a gunshot. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, th so that's... the fuck? I know it doesn't really fit the, the theme, but it fits the what the fuck theme. So it's like... What? <laughs> what? Yeah, so that is my story about Issei... Issei Sagawa. Sagawa. From <laughs> Boys... <laughs> Boys de Baloney. <laughs> shut the fuck up. You know who shouldn't shut the fuck up? Oh. Economy works! Heck. <laughs> Hey. You small business? Uh, no. You trying to do it all? Yeah, maybe. Well, like if you took marketing, for example, your business has got to have a Facebook, an Instagram, a Twitter, a LinkedIn account. Oh, man. Do you have any time to take pictures, write posts, and get them posted online? I don't have time for my two naps, so no. I know. Do you have any time to like, comment, share, or respond to followers? I do that for memes, but no. <laughs> Not for business. No. Exactly. No, no, no. So don't worry. We got you. Oh, economy yes. Works is here to help. Yes. Let Economy Works Talent Network help you do marketing so you can grow your business. Mm. Economy Works. When we work, the, the economy, economy works. works. Find out more at economyworks.com. That's E C O N O M I W R K S dot com. Didn't we already? 
W-O-R-K. If you slow it down, I said every word. Yeah, I don't think you did. Better. E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S.com. There you go. That's better. Do you have to do that? Fucking motorcycle. Who drives a motorcycle downtown? Um, Lots of people. Tony does, doesn't he? Oh, it's a a bike. He calls it a bike, but it's not a bike. It's a motorcycle. It's a moped, and it doesn't make. It's made. It's run from electricity and (laughs) little rats. They just. Anyways, so I've got a story for you that I wonder if it uh, fits the bill. It's the kiss and kill murder. So we're gonna see if it fits my theme, but I don't actually know what the theme is. (laughs) Yep. Okay, excellent. I'm excited. Uh, um, so this is a little bit of an urban legend, but also a true crime. I'm confused. So did it really happen or not? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, all the kids at Odessa in Odessa High School talk about this as an urban legend. Do you know people from Odessa High School? Nope. That's what it said in the magazine. <laughs> This is from Texas Monthly. Mm. I'm going to credit the author because I took a lot of stuff from what she said because there were direct quotes. I tried to do that for the article that I took a lot of things from, and there was no no name, and the article seemed like it was from someone who had already copied from someone else. So I was like, (sighs) that's fine. (laughs) This is an article by Pamela Koloff from the Texas Monthly. This came out in February 2006. Oh, man. So... this is the legend of Betty Williams. Oh, man. Boo-doo-doo-doo. Betty. Betty E. <laughs> B-E-T-E-E. Was a student at high, uh, the Odessa High School. She was known in and around the theater department and acted in many of the school plays. One night, she stayed late in the auditorium designing the set for one of the upcoming plays. Depending on who you ask, one of two things happened next. Scenario one, Betty climbed a ladder to fix a light fixture, but lost her balance and fell to the floor, breaking her neck. Scenario two, she stayed later in the auditorium than everyone else, and then once she was finally alone, she tied a rope to one of the beams in the auditorium and hung herself. (laughs) So there's two very different stories. She either killed herself or died accidentally. Um, but I feel like there's two different ways that you could find the body. Well, neither of them are right. Um, anyways, <laughs> it's said that she continues to haunt the school to this day. Oh, my God. Students used to park across the street from the auditorium and flash their lights in the upper window three times. This would invite Betty to show herself, and she would appear in the window. This sounds like Bloody Mary. Kind of. And we already talked about that, how it was totally true. Well, this is not exactly true. Oh. This not, part is not, not true. This is fabricated. Does this sound like it's a YouTube uh, uh, video that's talking about um, scary things? Because that's uh, the voice I'm going for. Sure. Anyways. <laughs> School administration got fed up with the students causing trouble and painted over the windows, eventually bricking them up. But many students of Odessa High School still believe that unexplainable occurrences such as books falling from shelves or doors that open mysteriously. <laughs> I didn't put any punctuation on that. Books falling from shelves <laughs> or doors that are open the mysteriously. Books are opening <laughs> mysteriously. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You ready? Shut that door. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> many faces. Um, all of these mysterious occurrences can be attributed to Betty just going about her business and going to class studying, unaware that she has passed on. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the urban legend. Bitch, I ain't dead. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck is a TikTok? I'm gonna what study. are you kids in here talking about? But why would a ghost be like, bitch, I'm going to study. I'm going to keep reading these fucking books, and I'm just going to study the entire well, time. Because she's in school, and she's from the 60s. Oh, so, so she's like, been studying for 60 years. Yeah. Poor thing. 70 years? 60. My parents 70 are not years seven. now. You said she died in the 60s. She died in 1960. My parents are were born in 1960. They're 59 years old. <laughs> They'll turn 60 this year. Yeah, they will, Yes. That's I said sixty. You kept on saying seventy. Shut up. <laughs> so let's talk about what actually happened. Okay. <laughs> Betty Williams was a real person, and she did attend Odessa High School. Oh my god. Uh, she was rumored to be pretty unremarkable and kind of faded into the background of the school. Oh my god, sounds There's like you. I was very popular. <laughs> I was voted most spirited in high school, which mm. to me basically means you were the gayest one. You were the gayest one. <laughs> they were like, he should really be a cheerleader, but they don't let boys on the team. <laughs> Except they probably would have if I had just tried out, but uh, that's not happening. That I was busy being a drum major. Like, so much <laughs> harder than it yeah, already was. Exactly. I already got bullied. I didn't need to be bullied more. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you waited all that time for me to bully you now. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I went through life and was like, oh, man, I love myself now. And you're like, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking bitch. Look how orange you look. Now all of my friends are like that. Uh, shout out to Savannah. <laughs> My <laughs> roommate. Gravitate to people that treat me bad. Honestly. Um, so there's not much information about her early life, but she did live in Odessa in a smaller, older home on the outskirts of town towards the oil fields. Oh, so that means she was real fucked up. Yeah. Her father was a carpenter, but had trouble finding steady work, and her mom worked at the JC. Yeah, because he worked town. by an oil field. Go work at the oil field. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Back in the 60s, you didn't need training for that. <laughs> You just, show you, just like, put hey. the, you just put the pump in the ground and you suck it out with your mouth? Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, I had a fish tank when I was younger and it, was <laughs> this, it had like this vacuum and you had to start it with your mouth. Yeah, that's like a, there's a word for it. It's like uh, there's, it starts with a C. Anyways, I did it and one time I accidentally swallowed fish water. It was disgusting. That sounds tasty. I'm um, sure there was lots of fish poop in it. Yeah, there was. Now look at how you turn out. Yeah. Her father was a strict Baptist <laughs> preacher. <laughs> a strict Baptist, and he preached the family about damnation and <laughs> sin. Mm. Uh, he constantly prayed that his daughter would become more a more obedient child. She was an outsider. Mm. She was not like so other basically girls. she was a hippie. Oh, we're getting there. Oh, boy. Um... She she had a very unpopular opinion about one subject in particular. Um, she looked at the popular girls with their matching sweater sets and saddle shoes. I don't know what the fuck a saddle shoe is. Uh, shoes that you wear in your saddle? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and she didn't want to be anything like them. <laughs> Got to put those saddle shoes yeah. on. I'm going to wear these tennis shoes until I get to the horse. But after we do that, put those right back on. Put those saddle shoes on. <laughs> um, she was known for being very opinionated and constantly wrote notes in study hall detailing her thoughts on religion and literature. She read Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg and listened to Lenny Bruce's comedy records that stood up to racism and middle-class hypocrisy. She wore clothes that were intended to get a rise out of the small-town reserved citizens of Odessa, like wearing all black with white lipstick. 
such a good look. That for especially for I what what ethnicity was she? She's white. Yeah, that's it's what I Texas assume. in yeah, the sixties. Yeah, I know. I'm just verifying. She was just like, let me like got no lips. Yeah, no lips. She wore all black and white lips. Mm-hmm. She wow. was a woman of the people. I don't even know much about makeup, and I know that's a like maybe not. Well, she's also blonde and blue eyed, so it's not horrific. And it was the thing that people did in the sixties. I don't like it and don't know why they did it, but I understand. Also, she wore T-shirts and jeans with no bra. <gasps> Sexy. Oh, my God. I do that now. I, me too. I shouldn't, but I do. I mean, I'm going to have really bad back when I'm older. You are. I already have a bad back. Well, do you wear it when you go to bed? No. Because I heard that's bad for you, too. Because then I've got pancake titties. Pancake titties. I love pancake titties. They look so... They look... Normal. Succulent. <laughs> um, she was known to have the opinion that segregation was wrong. <gasps> and people uh, did not like that. Oh, my God. In Texas? She wanted African Wait, I'm sorry. This is... Odessa, Texas. Yeah, Odessa, Texas. But I'm assuming that when she's having this opinion, she's in high school. Yeah. And you, Oh, she died in the 50s. Or in the 60s. Yeah, in she 1960. died in 1960. Okay, okay. So this was before... Desegregation. Desegregation. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought she was born in 1960 because we were talking about my parent. And I was like, this, this is 1999. She's like, <laughs> segregation is <laughs> terrible. That's what I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> These timelines are okay. Now I got it. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, she wanted African Americans to attend the same schools that she did. Wow. She knew that her opinions know. were unpopular and led her to be ignored or shunned. In one of her notes, she wrote, quote, the people willing to be my friends, but mostly... Uh, the, there are people willing to be my friends, but mostly they are either too ignorant to understand why I am like I am, and I'm consequently offered offering my mind no challenge, or they haven't the wits to match mine. So she called everyone else... Stupid. Stupid. Which, in that yeah. case, they're stupid. Yeah. But also, that's really arrogant. But also, good for her. Yeah. She was a bra-burning feminist... And anti-racist. Like, early. Yeah, early on. With With horrible fashion In the 50s. Like, damn girl, get it. Um, At the top of Odessa's high school, rigid... Odessa High School's rigid social hierarchy were the cashmere girls. Totally, I would love Uh, to be called the the cashmere girls. (laughs) They wore cashmere sweaters. Oh, my God. As one of the alumna called them, the girls with perfect complexion, me. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Bitch, wear... (laughs) What do you mean, bitch, where? I'm just kidding. You have better skin than me. Oh, thank you. I know. <laughs> uh, I see you right now. <laughs> I can help you out if you need some help. Uh, yeah, I already asked for your help, and you, you were know. like, mm, just go buy a shit. What kidding. did you want me to do? Put it on for you? Yes, please. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, they were from West Odessa's better neighborhoods who were perennially, perennially voted most popular Best personality and class favorite, me. No. <laughs> At football games, they sat in the stands wearing stands, the stands, stands. <laughs> wearing the ultimate status symbol, their boyfriend's letter jacket. Oh boy. They belonged to the informal sor- sororities called Tri High Y clubs, Capri, Sorella, and Amike, with which cherry picked the most popular girls in high school. Betty was hardly Tri High Y material. And in the high school pecking order, her classmates remember her as a nobody, a non-entity, and someone on the outside looking in. But while she struck an anti-establishment pose, the rejection she felt from the other girls still stung. Betty wanted to be liked. Her first cousin, 
I don't know why they had to say first cousin. Her first cousin, Shelton Williams, whose memoir, Washed in Blood, chronicles his coming of age in Odessa through the prism of Betty's murder. She, quote, wanted what we all want, to be totally unique while being completely accepted. True. Wait, so this interview was done in 2006? Yeah. And this poor guy is like, 50 years later, I want to be a high school popular person? What? <laughs> he's just saying that's, he's his coming of age story. He's, it's a memoir. He's retelling his past. Anyways. <laughs> Betty had grand aspirations of becoming an actress. Um, she starred, starred in many plays in her sophomore year of high school, and in her junior year, she played Juliet in the UIL play. She desperately wanted to leave Odessa for New York and become an actress on Broadway. But with her meager pay from working at the local Woolworths and her parents' inability to help pay for college, she settled on the plan of attending Odessa College just up the street from her house. That's um Yeah. She had big dreams to do things and was making change in the world. And she was like, okay, fine, I'll go to local college. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Some nights, Betty would slip out the back door. Mm-hmm. The back door was in her fucking room. That's where Nick says. Yeah, but we don't have to worry about him sneaking out at night. Yeah, because he doesn't have any sexual partners. Exactly. <laughs> it's like you, the, the room is wasted on you. <laughs> mm. That room would have been perfect for me or Savannah, who get our butt mm. sex all the time. Would it have been perfect for you? Savannah yeah, does not have to out. sneak Aaron in. Yeah, he just walks in with a key. Exactly. He keeps messaging me because apparently our gate is broken, which was going to be fun, fun for me to figure out in an hour. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I hope you can't get it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I hope you have to sleep on the street. I hope I have to like climb over the fence. That would be so hilarious. That'd you should break bad. the door. Yeah. Break the gate like you broke the door. Or just punch it. I don't know what you did. I don't either. Exactly. <laughs> um, so she would slip out the back door of her parents once her parents had gone to bed and walk four blocks to Tommy's drive-in where all the boys there were there to talk to. Mm. Plenty of girls were flirts, but a few of them were as assertive as Betty. Uh, she made no secret of the fact that she was not a prude and she was willing to prove it. <laughs> At the end of the... Uh, hey, you want to go down the road and... She, and fuck me in the ass? Yeah. Why don't you come on over and fuck me in the ass sometime? Exactly. Yeah. Come on and get it. <laughs> Bill. I'm sure that's all their names. Bill and Johnny. Bruce. Um, at the end of the evening... At, at the end of an evening at Tommy's, it was not unusual for her to go end up <clears throat> parked in a secluded spot somewhere with a football player. Mm-hmm. After, of course, he had taken his girlfriend home to meet her curfew. She's like, yeah, come back here and we'll fuck. We'll fuck. You come over and touch my lady parts, too. Well, the boys were free to do as they pleased. Good girls were expected to obey the unspoken code of contact. Quote, if a girl had a steady boyfriend, then she could have sex as long as she didn't advertise it, says Gene Smith Kiker, a Capri who is a year below Betty. Quote, but if she did it with somebody who wasn't her boyfriend, then she was a pariah. Betty chose to disregard the rules, and if she earned herself a reputation, she hardly seemed to care. Quote, Eisenhower had been president during most of our years growing up, and kids were kept on a very short leash, remembers classmate Dixon Bowles. The children were kept on leashes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got the feeling with Betty that she was always straining against that leash, even when it choked her. Maybe especially when it choked her. Mm. <laughs> she wanted to be choked. <laughs> Wait, did she actually say that? No. No. Oh. 
That was Dixit Bowels. Oh. Bowls. Bowls. Bowels. <laughs> Whatever. Dixon Bowels. Come on, did you? That's a drag king name. Come on. But it's B O W L E S. I just. B O W L E S. I just dyslexic the L and the E. That's Otherwise, like it would be calling bowels. it Beyonce Nowels. It is, it's Beyonce Knowles. Beyonce? Beyonce yeah. Knowles. <laughs> Beyonce Knowles. <laughs> Mac Herring was not one of the elite football players at Odessa High School on whose shoulders rested the hopes of the 1960 football season, but as a back for the Broncos, one of average abilities, he was just another guy on the team. Tall and good-looking with jet black hair that framed a long, contemplative face, Mac was a guy's guy. His classmates, remember, who was quiet and self-contained. Stop fucking texting. I'm trying to help Aaron get into the fucking gate. No, he can wait. <laughs> can you hear the... Dee -dee 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 no, I'm looking at you. Okay. The oldest son of a homemaker and a World War II <laughs> veteran who owned an electrical contracting business, Matt grew up in the solidly middle-class neighborhood that was home to many of his teammates and the try-high girls they dated. An avid hunter, he was happiest when he could spend a few days bagging a dove. Why would you kill a dove? Or uh, quail? Dove hunting is very popular in shirts. Why? I don't fucking know. They're People eat big. them. People eat them. Stupid. They apparently well, taste good, but there's also a shit ton of them. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care either. But so the who's gonna bathe in the bird bath house? Side story: There was a huge farm outside of our um, high school. And this guy that owned the land, obviously, would be dove hunting while we're outside practicing for our band stuff. And the, the shells would be falling on us while we were playing our instruments. Oh and there was nothing they could do about it because he was shooting the gun on his property, even though the shells were hitting us, because there was nothing that they could do. So there was lots of complaints, but there was nothing they could do legally. I thought that if you like, fired a gun into the air, it could come down and kill someone. The bullet. Um, well, that's if you fire the gun directly up into the air. Yeah, but if you fire it at like an arc and it still comes down, couldn't it theoretically kill someone still? I don't know. Whatever. Um, I think I was on Mythbusters and I think they proved it false. Oh. Did he get in? I don't care. I don't care either. <laughs> um, so he would go around and kill animals. Quote, if Mac wounded an animal when he went hunting, he would pursue it and dispatch it. I don't like the word dispatch. Says Larry Francel, who grew up across the street from him. Dispatch it? That's a, a lot. That verb doesn't make any sense. Isn't dispatch to, like, send something out? I've heard the word dispatch it before. Okay. Go out to it. Okay. Um, a lot of kids were cruel. They would shoot something and watch it hobble off, but Mac was different. He didn't like to see things suffer. If he was going to hunt there, he was going to kill it. Uh, although Mac was near the top of his high school cast system, Betty was at the bottom. They managed to strike up a friendship when she was a junior and he was a sophomore. Betty thought she sensed in him a kindred spirit. He seemed more sensitive than the other boys she knew. Gay. Also, you guys are 15 years old. Calm down. Yeah. Um, and I she... don't even have my hormones in check and I'm 27. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to go through menopause. Yeah, probably. Uh... <laughs> She thought there was something lonely and romantic about him. Romantic. How are those two things uh, similar? James Dean. Okay. <laughs> uh, in the summer of 1960, they started dating, and Betty wondered if he might be the one. Mm. She started falling in love with Mac. She told friends he really listened to her. But Mac was careful to be discreet about the time they spent together. He never took Betty to his neighbor, Carol. 
McCutcheon's house where the it in crowd gathered for dance parties and rounds of spin the bottle. Mm. Sexy. Seven minutes in heaven, bitch. No, I think that's from the 80s. Spin oh. the bottle is definitely 60s. Oh, boy. Uh, he never gave her his letter jacket or brought her home to meet his parents. So I didn't care about it that much. Nope. Perhaps because he had wounded her pride or maybe just she wanted to make him jealous. Betty tried to even the score one night when she parked with one of his friends. Park Popular. meaning park the car behind Tommy's and had sex. And made out. Oh. Maybe. You Parked. know, that wasn't just making out. Yeah. A little bit of radio tuning. Is that like her knobs? Her titties. Yeah. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> uh, a popular football player had been who had been voted the most handsome in his class. Lord, this is the most high school story ever. I love it. <laughs> God. Uh, the stunt soured Mac on the relationship, and by the fall, he'd broken things off and started going steady with a pretty redhead in Anna Kay. Oh, Quote, I've never been so humiliate, humiliated and torn to pieces as I am now. Oh, I should do a southern accent. But he wrote to his friend, I feel so lonely and deserted, and I don't care what happens now or ever. This is pure hell. It's better, isn't it? Yeah. It fits very well with the scenario. Betty was crushed to discover that the fall, that fall that Odessa High's new drama teacher did not see much promise in her and had relegated her to the role of stage manager for the spring production. Oh, damn, that's shady. Of Maxwell Anderson's Winter Set, a gloomy 1935 play based loosely on, loosely on the Sackowitz Vanzetti case. Worse, she learned that Mac would be playing one of Winter Set's lead roles, a remorseless killer named Trocastrella. Still reeling from their breakup and depressed at the prospect of not being cast in a single play her senior year, Betty began to feel hopeless. Mac was, quote, the one. And without him, life was not worth living. So then why the fuck did she go and cheat on him if he was the one this entire time? Come on, girl. Also, you're 17. Mm-hmm. Calm down. Well, she could be 18. Uh, she's an adult. <clears throat> She said she wanted to die she couldn't be with Mac, remembers her cousin Shelton, who was a year her junior at Odessa Prairie, Permian High School. She told me I have to get Stop. him back. <laughs> her mood turned darker after her father rummaged through her dresser drawers looking for evidence of her disobedience. Oh, my God. Distraught, Betty confided in a friend that she had, he had found her diary in which she had detailed her experiences with boys. Mm. Though she had pleaded with her father to believe her when she swore to him that she had changed, and he could not be convinced. <clears throat> Betty said that the situation at home was bad, said a friend who asked not to be named. I wanted to help, but I didn't know what to do. What's even more depressing is the fact that all these accents can definitely be found in Odessa, Oh, Texas. yeah, 100%. <laughs> I was 16 years old. <laughs> By the winter, Betty had started telling friends that she would be better off dead. Heaven must be a nice place, she told Junior Howard Sellers. She claimed to have half-heartedly tried to kill herself by taking four aspirin. <laughs> um, I take like eight ibuprofen at one time, so how is that going to kill One you? bottle is a dose. <laughs> she boasted of climbing up to the auditorium rafters, intending to throw herself onto the stage below, only to find that she lacked the courage. Betty had always enjoyed being outrageous, talking about wanting to die to whoever would listen. But Pe- the, uh, millennials do that now. <laughs> I know, but back then it was like, whoa, whoa. she means <laughs> now it. Now I'm like, man, I want to die. It's like, oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we were just dead? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Love that for you. Um, 
But the only reaction was she was able to provoke was a few eye rolls. The response was always the same. There goes Betty again, trying to be the center of attention, even oh, when she began acting more erratically during rehearsals for Winter Set. <clears throat> her peers wrote her off for overwrought confessions about wanting to die as nothing more than a theater girl's high school histrionics. She informed at least five students working on the play that she wanted to kill herself, but didn't have the nerve. Would they be willing to do it for her? She asked. So, will you kill me? How do you politely ask someone, will you kill me? She did. I mean, that's something maybe like 80-year-old Chris will say when his back is out, his knees are gone. Kill me! His liver is already falling apart. Just, what do you mean? What liver? He's going to be on dialysis oh, by gone. then. <laughs> yeah, honestly. No, I don't think I will, said Mike Ware, uh, passing it off as a joke. A sophomore, Jim Mercer, also deflected the invitation. I charge for my services. <laughs> he kidded, quoting her as an impossibly high price. How do they get all of these quotes? <laughs> did, did they quote these people 50 years later? I guess so. Wow. Or maybe from the book. What book? The one that her cousin wrote. So the Yeah, but her cousin wrote that. Hey, it doesn't matter. Continue. He could have wrote it when he was 20. Yeah, okay. I didn't write a memoir of my high school experience during that time. I did. Okay. It's called The Golden. No. You peaked in high school? <laughs> no. I haven't even peaked. I don't, I don't think I'll ever peak. <laughs> I think it's been like flatlining ever since I was born. <laughs> There's just one little uptick. Here we go. <laughs> Back down. Oh. oh. <laughs> Within like. We really thought that was the one, didn't we, guys? Half a day. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the time, at a time when Betty felt marginalized by those around her and forsaken by one boy she loved. Death seemed to its hold its own allure. Or was she just acting, pushing boundaries in another bid to catch Mark's attention? Oh, One night he gave her and Howard a ride home from rehearsal, and she made a request of him. Would he, be go, would he be willing to kill her? She would hold the gun to her head, she said, pull while he pulled the trigger. Mac laughed at the absurdity of the idea, while Betty laughed with him. She even went so far as to write out a wildly melodramatic note, clearing him of culpability were he to be apprehended for her murder, a note that Howard would later say had seemed like a joke. But the next afternoon during rehearsal, Betty pulled Mac into a prop room backstage. She was miserable, she told him, and she wanted to die. It was the week before Winterset was scheduled for, to premiere, and the students were busy running their lines and painting the set as they readied for the final dress rehearsal. In the middle of the chaos, Betty spotted Mike it's nice knowing you, she said. What do you mean, he asked. I finally talked Mac into killing me, she said. Mike shrugged. I'll send roses. Wow. They were fucking savage. Yeah. Two days later, March 22, 1961, the Odessa Police Department received a frantic phone call from Mary Williams, who reported that her daughter was missing. One by one, Betty's friends were called into the principal's office where they were asked to tell what they knew. Ike N Nail a popular junior who had taken Betty home from rehearsal the previous evening, evening recounted a story that interested investigators. When he had dropped Betty off at 10 o'clock, he said that she suggested she had suggested that he return in half an hour and meet her in the alleyway behind the house. As promised, at 10.30, Betty had snuck out the back door and slipped into his car. The two teenagers had parked in the alley for a little while, but they had been, had been startled to see headlights coming towards them. Betty immediately recognized the approach, approaching car as Max. Oh my God, I didn't think he'd come, oh she exclaimed. 
Ike had been certain Betty was only joking when he had remarked earlier in the evening that Mac had promised to kill her. So certain that he did not even try to stop her when she climbed into Mac's jeep. As she turned to go, she said to Ike, I've got to call his bluff, even if he kills me. Odessa Police Youth Officer Bobby McAlpine sat Mac down to answer a few questions. Football player told plausible enough story he had dropped Betty off outside her parents' house at midnight and not seen her since. But inconsistencies in his account led McAlpine to believe that the 17-year-old knew more than he was letting on. He had left Betty at the front door or at the back, McAlpine inquired. The front door, Mac answered, and no, he hadn't waited to see that she'd gotten safely inside. His answer struck McAlpine as peculiar. The officer knew that Betty had been dressed for bed when she slipped out of the house that night. According to Ike, she had been wearing only pale pink shorty pajamas and a blue and white striped duster, <laughs> but not the kind of clothes a boy would leave a girl standing on the front porch at midnight. Oh, my God. McAlpine also felt sure that Betty would have wanted would not have wanted to sneak back into the house through the front door. Mac was brought down by the police, brought down to the police station for further questioning, and 45 minutes later, he broke down. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Betty had begged him to kill her, he told McAlpine, and that all he had done was carry out her wishes. He claimed to have committed the crime with a 12-gauge shotgun that Betty herself had picked out. Mac led officers to his father's hunting lease, 26 miles north of town, on a lonely strip of scrubland studded with pump jacks. They turned off the highway onto a winding dirt road and continued until Mac directed them to stop. He showed them where he, where his and Betty's footprints, his large, her small, led down a steep incline into a stock tank. Besides the water, the ground was spattered with blood. In a flat monotone, Mac told the investigators that he had shot Betty next to the stock tank weighted her down and submerged her body. Unsure of the exact location of the body in the tank, officers asked Mac if he would retrieve it. He stripped off his red and white varsity letter jacket, sports shirt, loafers, jeans, socks, and waded into the river until it came to his chest. The assembled group of lawmen fell silent. When he reached the center, Mac oriented himself by looking at the mesquite trees on either side, and he dove under the water and came back up. He began wading backwards towards land, dragging an object that appeared to be very heavy. When he was near the water's edge, Odessa police detective Fred Johnson could see that he was holding a pair of human feet. Johnson advised him to leave the body, which was still clad in pale pink pajamas, in the water. Around Betty's waist were tied two lead weights. She had been partially decapitated by a single shotgun blast of the head. It didn't move him when he pulled her out. Oh, <clears throat> it didn't move him when he pulled the body of water, pulled her body out of the water. <laughs> Or when he said that he put the shotgun to her head, remembers Highway Patrolman E.C. Locklear. It was as cold-blooded and premeditated as it could be. What pushed him to do it, none of us knew. Later on, when I put him in the squad car to take him to jail, I said, Mac, you can't expect to get caught. And he said, not this quick. He showed no signs of emotion, regret, or fear. It was like talking to a shooting, talking about shooting a dog. Investigators called for the ambulance to be ambulance. <laughs> ambulance to be sent to the scene without sounding its siren, but the poli- re- reporters were not far behind. Before Mac was taken to jail, he recounted that what had taken place the night before while the newsman in the Odessa American and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram took down his story and six photographers jockeyed for the best angle. On the drive out to the hunting lease, she was cheerful, and she chatted about how happy she was going to be when she was dead. 
Mac explained. He had parked his Jeep a short distance from the stock tank, and he and Betty had sat there for a while and talked. She was happy, he recalled. She was saying that what it was going to be like in heaven. Then they had walked down to the pond together. Shivering, Betty had hurried up back to the Jeep to retrieve her duster. When she returned to the spot where Mac was waiting for her by the water, she took off her shoes. I just stood there with a gun, Mac told reporters. I said, give me a kiss to remember you by. She gave me a kiss, and then she said, thank you, Mac. I will always remember you for that. Then she said, now. I raised the gun barrel up and took a hold of it with the back of her hand, and she held it up to her temple. And I pulled the trigger, and she was dead like that. And he snapped his fingers for emphasis. Damn. And he showed no remorse. He wasn't like, oh, my God, I just shot someone or anything like that. Mm -mm. Damn. As word spread around Odessa that afternoon that Mac had been arrested for Betty's murder, the news was greeted with incredulity. Incredulity. I just cannot believe it. Not Mac. (laughs) A 16-year-old girl shrieked as she collapsed as tears against the wall in the police station. We were shocked that one of our own, a police, a, a police, a popular football player who had been to our parties and had dated our friends, had committed a heinous crime, said Gene Smith Kiker. And as more information came out, we were shocked to learn that Mac and a lot of other boys we knew had been spending time with Betty after they had taken their girlfriends home. <laughs> But despite the gruesomeness of the crime and the first-degree murder charges that were filed against him, Mac was not ostracized by his peers. He was still invited to parties at Carol McCutcheon's house and was welcome at the Tommy's drive-in. Girls visited him, visited him at home and boasted of knowing him. Rather than seeing Mac as a killer, many classmates acted as something tragic that was beyond his control had befallen him. We were all supportive because we couldn't believe it says former try-high girl who well, asked also, to not be identified. This lady had, or this girl, had gone around high school telling people, like, bye, bye, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And no one was like, okay. Like, or everyone was like, okay, well, she's going to die. Like, bye, that's cool. And then he finally killed her, and they were like, hmm? <laughs> yep. Her final diary entry reads, March 20th, 1961. I want everyone to know that what I'm about to do in no way implicates anyone else. I say this to make sure that no blame falls on anyone other than myself. I have depressing problems that concern, for the most part, myself. I'm waging a war within myself, a war to find the true me, and I fear that I'm losing the battle. So rather than admit defeat, I'm going to beat a quick retreat into the no man's land of death. As I have only the will and not the fortitude necessary, a friend of mine, seeing how great is my torment, has graciously graciously consented to look after the details. His name is Mac Herring, and I pray that he will not have to suffer for what he's going to do for my sake. I take upon myself all blame, for there it lies on me alone. Betty Williams. Damn. When the state... Of Texas versus John McCarran got underway on February 20th, 1962. A guilty verdict seemed all but a foregone conclusion. On Mac's own confession painted a picture of a methodically planned murder. Before driving Betty a half an hour out of town and shooting her point blank in the head, he had by his own admission procured lead weights, rope, shotgun shells, and uh, even a miner's helmet to light his way so he could submerge her body in the stock tank. So he was already ready for all this shit. Did she tell him to get all this stuff? Well, I guess we can't know that. We won't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
It looked to most people like a case that was impossible for the defendant to win, said Larry L. King, who had left Midland a decade earlier but still followed the case. I mean, the defendant who admitted to kissing the girl then blew her away, weighted her body, and buried it out in the pond? What else does the state need? So King was confused when his good friend Warren Burnett, an Odessa defense attorney, decided to take the case. I asked Burnett why, and he said, Church ain't over until they sing. Oh, boy. At 34, Burnett was already considered one of the finest trial lawyers around, having earned the, ooh, that's a word, sobriquet. Ooh. Sobriquet, the boy's wonder of the West. The boy wonder of the West. For law. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. An ex-Marine who, at the age of 25, had been the youngest prosecutor in the state of Texas. Burnett had always brought a sense of theater to the courtroom. His melodious baritone, and pe- he peppered his arguments with Shakespeare and scripture that won jurors over with his down-home charisma. He sounds terrible. Yeah, I don't like him already. So much that no juror had ever sent a client of his to prison. I'm sure he could be a Supreme Court justice in Trump's America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in the kiss and kill case, he hatched a plan that he hoped would prevent Mac from ever standing trial for the murder, using a de- defense strategy that had never, to anyone's recollection, been used before. Under Texas law, if jurors found a defendant temporarily insane, that is, insane only when he committed the crime, he would walk free. Citing the statute, Burnett argued that before before District Court Judge G.C. Olson, that before any trial was to take place, juries should have first should first have to evaluate Max's sanity at the time he pulled the trigger. If they did for, determined that he had been temporarily insane, he should not have to stand trial. Burnett's line of reasoning flouted legal precedent. Sanity hearings are supposed to take up only the narrow question of whether a defendant is competent to stand trial, but not to the astonishment of the court, but to the astonishment of the court observers and the strenuous objections of the prosecution, Judge Olson granted Burnett's motion for the pretrial hearing. Jurors would not determine Mac's guilt or innocence. They would only render a decision as to whether or not he had been insane at the time of the crime. Mac would, in fact, have a chance for acquittal. Uh, because the murder had just occurred, just occurred across the Ector County line, the hearing took place in Kermit, an oil patch town 45 miles west of Odessa, <laughs> where the smell of petroleum hung in the air. That's all of Odessa. That's all of West Texas. Yes. <laughs> the jury pool was the largest that ever been seen called in Winkler County. The last murder to get as much attention, a stabbing at the hotel in Wink, had happened in 1947. <laughs> Teenagers filed... So a full, like, thir- 14 years previously, they were like, oh, this is the last time we had jurors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> last time we had a case like this was my grandma's birthday. Lord. <laughs> um, she was 25. <laughs> Before she had any she kids or grandkids. She stole a piece grand- of gum from the general store, and Jesus. she took it to a child. <laughs> Um, teenagers filed into the courts and filled many of the 160 seats in Judge Olson's courtroom, at many times spilling over into the aisles and out the door. It was a carnival, said the war- former Winkler County clerk, Virginia Healy. The defendant was a good-looking boy, and all these clean-cut girls came out from Odessa to ooh and ah over him, nicknamed Max Girls. They mu- made up only a fraction of the spectators whose sympathies were with the defendants. Betty's parents, lost in their grief, were only visible support were her only visible supporters. Her father occasionally leaned forward so as not to miss a word of testimony. Dabbing his eyes with his white handkerchief, Max sat behind the defense table in a dark suit, his head often bowed. 
The strain of proceedings somewhat showed as when he laid his head on his hands during the jury selection. Otherwise, he was impassive. Arguing for the state was 32-year-old District Attorney Dan Sullivan, an earnest, if not particularly seasoned, lawyer who was out of his depths. A 16 months in office, he had prosecuted mostly oil field theft and DWIs. Never defense ca- or uh, murder prosecution defense. case, yeah. Yeah, murder prosecution. Yeah. Uh, because of the burden of proof fell on Burnett to provo- prove that Mac was insane when he pulled the trigger, the hearing had began not with witnesses for the state, but for the defense. The first person Burnett called to the stand was Mac's father, O.W. Herring, who had told the jury that on the day of his son's arrest, Mac had handed him a letter Betty had written. The letter which the Texas Department of Public Safety has authenticated and which Mr. Herring had read to the jury, held that Betty alone was about to blame for her death. You might say she was becoming a witness for the defense, Burnett quipped. Nine character witnesses, including Odessa's head football coach, spoke on Mac's behalf that uh, he had been temporarily insane at the time of the crime. Three so every, everyone was like, he's a good kid, but at that time he was He was up. insane. Look yeah. at She's drove him wild. She drove yeah. him wild. Three classmates testified that Betty had also asked them to cl- kill her, but the most compelling uh, testimony came from Marvin Grice, a Odessa psychiatrist who had examined Mac three days before the murder, three days after the murder. The former football player had been dethroned of his reasoning by Betty's pleadings, Grice said, and his, in his estimation had been temporarily insane when he put the shotgun to her head. He became so mixed up and so sick that he felt that pulling the trigger was what he should do for her. He was deprived of the power of applying logic. However, the effects of this gross stress reaction were temporary. He can be trusted to lead a normal life, Bryce sir, assured the jury. It's also at the same time that they are still doing lobotomies. So mm-hmm. let's just throw that out there for psychiatry reasons. Oh, cur. Uh, the district attorney could not establish a motive. The entire proceeding was a perversion of law, says Sullivan, who was a practicing lawyer in the nearby town of Andrews. The jury never heard the indictment read or learned of how the crime was committed. None of the facts of the case ever came out. Moments after Sullivan rested his case, Burnett rose from his seat and thundered across the crowded courtroom. Stand up, Mac Herring. Go around and take the witness chair. It appeared that, appeared that Burnett was calling his client to stand for a rebuttal, but no sooner than had Mac had been sworn in, Burnett, for further dramatic effect, roared, Pass the witness! That's for dramatic effect. That is for dramatic effect. Answer the questions they have for you, lad. If he had hoped to throw the prosecution off balance, he succeeded. Though Sullivan had tried to make most of the opportunity in his cross-examination, District Attorney pressed Mac to explain what happened at that moment exactly, that he had decided to kill Betty. I don't know, Max stammered. I can't remember. I can't explain. He had difficulty understanding it at all himself. He told the jury in a halting voice, I have stayed awake at night trying to think of it so I could explain it to other people, he said. Sometimes now I think it was a dream. Sometimes I think it was real. Sometimes I think I'm watching somebody else. As he sat in the witness chair, appeared solemn and contrite. Though the other classmates had believed that Betty was joking when she had asked him to kill her, Mac maintained that her pleas had a profound effect on him. Betty had talked about heaven a lot, he said, and had made her appear like a place you could reach out and touch. He explained that on that night, when he killed her, he believed he was doing the right thing. I know everything about it is wrong, he says. After 11 hours of deliberation during which jurors asked that Grice's expert testimony be read back to them, 
they determined that Mac had, in fact, been temporarily insane the night of the murder. Upon hearing the verdict, Mac slumped in his chair and wept while his friends and classmates, friends, his friends and classmates rushed to his side to embrace him. So it was thrown out because before the case even happened because mm-hmm. they said he was insane. Yep. Bendy's parents slipped through the door as an exuberant crowd forced themselves out of the courtroom. The reporters could not reach them for comment. Yeah, because they ran out because they were pissed because their daughter mm-hmm. committed suicide with someone's help. Yep. <clears throat> I overheard a juror talking about Betty, says Hazel Locklear, the wife of a highway patrolman who had been stuck by it, struck by Mac's aloofness at the crime scene. I remember her saying in a very ugly way, that girl was nothing. <laughs> to some observers, it seemed as if Betty's transgressions had eclipsed those of the teenager who'd killed her. Nobody talked about how Mac could have said no, observes Sandra Schofield, who graduated from Odessa High the year before the murder. Betty had enlisted him, this worthy young man, to do what she didn't have the courage to do herself. She had roped him into doing it. So she had become the victim. Not become the victim, but the villain. Sullivan appeared, appealed the verdict to the Texas Supreme Court on the judge on the grounds that Judge Olson did not have the authority to grant a hearing that only evaluated Mac's sanity at the time of the crime. On June 27, 1962, the court sided with Sullivan vacating the judgment and ordering a new trial, but what advantage he gained in being allowed to present his evidence was negated by Burnett's skill and showmanship. Because of the intense publicity, the second trial was moved nearly 600 miles away to Beaumont, Texas. What the fuck? Yep. So it came from Odessa. west of Beaumont... All the, or I'm sorry, west of Odessa, all the way down to fucking Beaumont, which is east of us? Mm-hmm. Damn. Burnett relied on his old playbook. He put Grice back on the stand and packed the courtroom with teammates, teachers, parents, and community leaders who had took a stand to extol his client's virtue. Which, Odessa is so, like, hallelujah, like, I'm in the crowds, I'm going to cheer about anything that's going to happen. So they were 100%, like, anytime that something went right, they were like, woo! So it got like an emotional response out of every single person in that courtroom. Mm-hmm. Smart. Smart man. Uh, Mac had been a stellar student. One of his teachers told the jury and added, I've never known a more brilliant mind. His football coach testified that Mac had never used profanity. Ever. The fuck? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Howard. Obviously not you. <laughs> I mean, baby. You fucking bitch. <laughs> Howard Sellers had said that Mac was his idol and that he personified everything that was good. In a passion courtroom, in an impassioned closing argument, Burnett Devilla, uh, delivered before a standing room only crowd. He hammered home the fact that nearly two years after Betty's murder, the prosecution had still been un, uh, unable to establish a motive. There wasn't. She wanted to die because I mean, uh, I'm not gonna get into that. We'll I have. I have. Stuff yeah, we'll. To say. I'll talk about it. Does the evidence show you any possible explanation? He challenged the jury. Until some evidence is brought up to show how the psychiatrists were wrong, I'd be inclined to believe with believe them. Jurors agreed. Twelve days before Christmas, they found Mac not guilty by reason of insanity. Good. Mm-hmm. A smattering applause broke out in the courtroom when the verdict was announced, and once again, Mac was mobbed by jubilant reporters, supporters. A few glad observers, including the wife of Baptist minister who sat on the jury, looked, in th- with, looked on with tears in their eyes. Max, who had, Mac, who had once worried aloud to a reporter that he would, been, would be sent to the electric chair, was a free man. And that's the story of the kiss and kill from wow. Odessa. That could be a what the fuck. 
I guess, situation. I thought it was what the fuck because she asked him to kill her and then he actually said yes. Also, when he went out to go get the body, they were like, where's the body? And he was like, oh, I'll show you. And he takes his clothes off and goes and gets in the lake. And he like full on picks up the body. Yeah. Yeah. Like he knew exactly what he had done, essentially. He knew what he did. Yeah. I think like he, he should it. have been put in jail for it. I think he should have been put in jail for it because I thought it was a stupid decision for him to do. Because, I mean, that's one of those things like you should have. You should have the common sense to know not to kill somebody. And you should have also have the common sense to tell someone. Well, like, it's also the 60s. And I don't think that. I think the real disservice here is that mental health. Was not was a thing. Something that people exactly. shunned back then. Exactly. And then on top of that, she had a she was very depressed. religious father who was like, here's heaven. This is what you need to get to it. But you're also a sinner. You fucking suck kind of thing. Like, uh, so repent and maybe you'll get to this, you know, glorious place. So the fact that he was talking about like, oh, she thought that heaven was real. And like, this is the, the you know, point. She thought that I could reach out and touch it kind of thing. It was like that she had that positive belief in her body while she was out here being attacked by her father and by her uh, classmates, uh, classmates and, and everything like that. Like, it just baffles me because I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I want to see what that transitions. So, okay, I, I think I kind of got it again. Um, she had so much, like, negative energy this entire time in her life that was, you know, destroying her, especially, like, living, having these... Um, at the time, obtuse uh, or uh, yeah, yes, yeah, uh, so I know. So suddenly, we've got SAT words. Um, uh, th- this differentiating point of view, especially in the '60s, that she was like uh, 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 this hard-hitting idea, I guess, as well. That she thought is like, oh, we're over here um, wishing that racism wasn't real and that people like desegregation could happen and all this stuff. And like, she was out here being a leader and part of the forefront of a movement and everybody um, else was like i just want to be voted miss popular i want to be popular exactly and we know like high school texas culture especially in like shirts texas where uh, all that people cared about in the fall was how big their mums were going to be for homecoming um i mean that this is at that exact like peak time where it's like pageants and looking gorgeous and all of a sudden she's like uh, i just want to wear t-shirts without a bra and uh, go and do some change. And read and exactly. learn about things important. Be intelligent. And like her poor, I mean, not poor life, but like her life did not allow for that to happen. And so, of course, she was going to be fucking sad about that. But so she had issues with mental health because she had a, a, a identity crisis, essentially. She couldn't be who she wanted and needed to be um, and couldn't get out of her small ass town to go do these things that she wanted to go do. And so of course she had some mental health issues. And so I don't know, I'm weighted in those different opinions because um, I do believe in assisted suicide in certain cases, but, yeah, but that's I don't for think like that's, medical cases. Yeah, that's not something that you tell people to <laughs> Correct, do. Correct, exactly. Um, so yeah, he he should have had like a different um, take on things and she well, should have gotten I don't understand but. because nobody could ask me to kill them and me ever seriously consider it. Exactly, correct. That would n- never cross my mind. I guess I haven't reached that age yet, but like that, no, no, the age of like, like I'm pretty <laughs> sure somebody, that when I'm about 42, no. then if somebody asks me to kill them, when, I'll say, oh, okay. when I'm older and like, I have the idea of like accepting death and, you know, things like that. Maybe that can be a situation that comes up Tom because says he's going to kill somebody. Cause like, Oh, I'm almost 
Oh, bye, Thomas. We'll help you die. <laughs> no, he's going to get to that age where he's like, finally. Now I can assist somebody. <laughs> oh, okay. Got it. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I guess like what I meant was like someone who accepts death. Like I definitely have not accepted death. And that yeah, even though I joke either. about dying all the time, it's not, <laughs> it's not a serious consideration in my mind as of right now. So <laughs> yeah. Somebody breaks into your house at night. Thank God. Finally, what took you fucking here. so long? Jesus. Now get over here. Yeah. Come over here. How are you going to do it? Like, is it going to be quick and slow? I mean, let's talk know, about it because painless or? I'm really partial to drowning in the bathtub. No, no drowning. I don't want to do drowning. <laughs> I'm really partial to being burned alive. Honestly, like just break my neck. <laughs> let's like go to the uh, Empire State Building and you can just, like, just push me push off. Me off. <laughs> I'll fly and just like, we're dead. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Wow. Um, what a journey we've had. And we talked about some crazy things. We talked about uh, some crazy things. And then we talked about some serious things. And we talked about couponing, which is really the most important thing to take away from this discussion. Um, yeah, okay. So if you guys want to get a two for 10 deal on user and at CVS, go now before they're sold out. <laughs> Honestly, if you have any couponing questions, please uh, sh- give us a shout out at rqbpodcast.com. Yeah. I would love that. Also, if you get the Sunday paper, please send me your inserts. <laughs> You're so desperate. Do you know how much a Sunday paper costs? It's $4. Uh, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to go to the Dollar Tree. Apparently there are dollars there. <laughs> the Dollar Tree has newspapers. Sunday newspapers for, for a dollar. A, a dollar. Everything's a dollar. Yeah, yeah. The Dollar Tree. Yeah. Yeah, I know what a dollar tree is. Got that Got that far. Because money doesn't grow on trees. But a dollar do. What? <laughs> is that their slogan now? I mean, if it's not. They, I... Please, anyone from Dollar Tree, if you want to be our sponsor. Uh, that's trademarked. <laughs> so you'll need to come talk to me about it. <laughs> trademarked already. We went through the process within the last 10 seconds. So Thomas, call my lawyer. <laughs> I think Thomas is our lawyer, which is uh, kind of scary. Why? Sign this. Sign, <laughs> Sign your life away. This is that Thomas will assist you in suicide <laughs> at 42 years old. Once he turns 42. Yeah. So you got, that's what you I mean. got two years. Yeah, I got you two years to turn 42. Oh, boy. Ooh, you'll die before you're 30. Oh, oh my God. 30th birthday celebration. <gasps> oh, my God. I love that for you. Oh, gonna, my I'll, God. Br- oh, I'll make uh, little goodie bags. Ooh, for everyone else except for me. Yeah. Oh, this is well, be, dark. Yeah. This is really dark. <laughs> Here you go. It's got some candy, some Excedrin, because we've been drinking a lot, and then an eye. It's Chris's. <laughs> and it's not glass. You can it's eat real. It. It's real. It's jelly. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Wow. Um, well, we did not uh, plug our own podcast at all this episode, so please do That's that. how we end it. Oh, well. Um, so... You know, uh, if you're ever looking for more spoopy stuff, since you're listening, if you're listening, I mean, you might as well go to Our Spoopy Podcast at Facebook.com. Uh-huh. No. That's Our Spoopy at Facebook. Yeah. Uh, no, it's Our Spoop at our Facebook. Spoop. Our Spoopy on Twitter. Twitter. And Our Spoopy Podcast on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Or OurSpoopyPodcast.com. Yeah. Or if you want like a email kind of situation, that's OurSpoopyPodcast at gmail. It's kind of like a personalized thing that I goes mean, directly like, to Spencer's email and he doesn't ever forward them to me. So. Yes, I do. Oh, okay. He forwards them to me four days later. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> we'll but if you want to contact Chris, uh, you can always go on Twitter at OurSpoopy. 
um, and uh, get some good gifts that I like to send to people. Not not gifts with a T. I don't do that. Say memes. Memes. I send send memes. Um, and uh, you know those those short video clips that repeat themselves. Or he says mood colon and then does a picture. Yeah, that's me. Um, but also, you should also listen to our sister podcast. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about gay stuff. Um, I have been doing a lot of advertising for them, which is sad because I don't do as much advertising for our own podcast, and I don't understand why. Okay, fuck off. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are always uh, excited, and by we, I mean I, and also I guess Spencer, he hears it all the time, um, to listen to their episodes because there is always something new happening in gay history. So you should check out their um they have a really interesting podcast this week. Um, they tie in uh, gay shit to World War II. Um, okay. And a model named something Gia Karanji. That was that was fun. Okay. She was a lesbian. But also listening to all three of them talk just cracks me the fuck up. So yeah, I'm already on board. And hearing Tony laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Tony. We love you, Tony. You won't ever listen to this podcast. podcast. He didn't even listen to the episode that he was a guest on. So I know. For cross-promotion. Should we have Kindle as a guest on our podcast? I feel like um, that would make me jealous because he talks a lot. Yeah. He would interrupt us a lot. Yeah. He interrupts us more than I interrupt you. I don't think he even cares about murder. I don't think he does either. He always knows about the murder documentaries and stuff like that. Anytime that I am like, oh, I'm going to do this podcast, he's like... Got it. He he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad I don't have to do what, any what, research. What are your anymore. thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Do you have opinions? Because you just told me 17. Um, I love that. Well, should we tell people to um, uh, get, get spoopy, spoopy with, with it? it. <laughs> <laughs>